welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. On this week's episode, we solve the age-old dilemma, which is better, management accounting or financial accounting? Enjoy the debate me and Dave have, which was done in front of a live Zoom audience. If you'd like to join a future show, you can register for them. There'll be a link in the show notes. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Podcast and Forum. We've got a live Zoom audience with us tonight, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Evening, Ben. How are you this week? Or have you been the last two weeks? Because I I wasn't here last week. So how have things been? You were missing last week. I was here. So I had a good week last week. We had a good chat about written questions and case studies. You can go and download that episode. I'm in the middle of a busy teaching session. So I've been teaching some students in Ipswich today. Um, A bit of a change of scene for me, but a change is as good as a rest, they say. And I'm thoroughly enjoying some some time up in Ipswich. I can see the docks and the harbour from the the classroom that I'm teaching from. How's your couple of weeks been? Um, Yeah, good. I've been doing some teaching. So it's it's AAT personal tax for me that I've been teaching, um, which is always, always good fun. And we've got lots of students coming to the end of their AAT that are having to do that tax paper. And I I do like that paper. It's a a nice one. I enjoy teaching. Spent a lot of time all around Essex. So I've been, like you, I've been to the seaside in Southend. I've been spending some time in Colchester, spent some time in in Chelmsford visiting new students and clients. Just, yeah, really good to get out there. Last week, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, Ben, um, I I hosted a, a finance forum looking at the industry of food. Um, where I spent about 90 minutes with some experts in the food industry talking about all of the issues that, that they're encountering at the moment and you know how the finance of food operates. Really, really interesting. Um, just hear all kinds of different views on how, you know, how the, the ice cream industry and some the meat industry and the fruit industry are all being impacted at the moment with things like cost of living going up and you know, wages and shortage of staff. So, absolutely fascinating if you haven't listened to it yet Ben I'd recommend it on that on that journey to Ipswich when you're in the car thinking about what am I going to listen to and there's no tennis on or any cricket or things like that so um that 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 was really good but the highlight for the past fortnight for me Ben was um the the day that you and I spent together up in London going to to watch the Red Hot Chili Peppers which was for me a, a phenomenal evening which I thoroughly enjoyed They were really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the invite to go with you, Dave. I had a great day and evening out. I've spoken to loads of people that also saw them that weekend and said how phenomenally good they were and the whole setup was was perfect. So that was that was a great experience. Thank you again. I need to ask you, though, you were missing last week because you and some colleagues from Chelmsford were doing a a charity run. How did that go for you and the team? Yeah, it was good. We had, um, it was in Chelmsford every year, they do a, um, a, a race for business, they call it. And it's a 5k race and businesses will sign up and people can then go and run their 5k race. So we put a team together. I think we ended up having eight or nine people that, that ran or walked and it, yeah, really, really good. And um, there were loads of um, kind of teams that have been put together from some quite big companies 
So I know that one of our clients, Fiserv, was there and they had loads of people that were running. Um, but then we also had some kind of small firms that just had one or two people. So it was really, really good. Um, and lots of lots of money raised for one of the local hospices around here. Um, so yeah, thoroughly recommend it to anyone that is in the Essex region. If they're a little bit athletic, they want to raise some money, meet with other people that work for other, other businesses around the area. Yeah, really, really good fun. Brilliant. And if you want to see some pictures, I think the the Chelmsford FI social media pages were showing some team shots of you in your running gear. Yeah. So go and check that out, listeners, and, and see Dave and his team before and I think after the fun run, the pictures were taken. Brilliant. Well, before we get on to the topic this evening, there's something else I just want to mark. As far as I can tell, when this podcast is released, it is going to be episode number 100. They've mentioned about the food and finance special that slipped in under my radar because I wasn't involved with that one. So that was uploaded this week as episode 99, which means when the wonderful guys in our marketing turn tonight's into the next episode of the podcast, this will officially be episode number 100. So a big thank you to everybody involved. A big thank you to you, Dave for continuing to drive the podcast, but more importantly, to the listeners, the downloaders, myself and Dave said, we will keep doing this while people are wanting to listen and actively downloading. And we've made it to number 100, Dave. It's amazing, isn't it? I remember that we decided to switch on the recording and create a podcast, what, two years ago now. Um, and yes, yeah, still here 100 episodes later. I think, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. I had a really, really good time. Um, covered loads and loads of topics and talk to some really interesting people. Um, and, you know, I think, yeah, with that milestone, you kind of, your mind does flash back to some of the, you know, the, the really important episodes that I think that we've covered uh, over the last couple of years. But as always, you know, that there'll hopefully be another hundred and anyone that's got a topic that they want to have covered, they just need to get in touch. And, you know, we have covered topics because people have said, can you please go through something? Yeah, please, please let us know if you've got any ideas for things you'd like us to talk about or guests you'd like us to try and get on for future sessions. We're really looking to put an agenda together for the podcast for the rest of this year. Myself and Dave are going to take a bit of a break over the summer, as we usually do. But Dave had the brainwave of maybe re-releasing some of the previous episodes because we've got a fantastic back catalogue. And so look out for some re-released specials. All of the original episodes are still available. And I'm definitely going to download and listen to the food and finance special on my drive to Ipswich tomorrow. Excellent. There's already some comments from our audience about lots of talk about cheese. There was talk about cheese. That was good. Um, and seeing the head of Rossi, um, yeah, James from Rossi was on and he, he was really, really good value. And I, I really hope that the story that he told about how the 99 ice cream got his name is actually true. I, I'm going to be telling people that it is true, um, even if we haven't had it fully verified yet by whoever it is that verifies things like how name, things got their names, but I hope it is true. Brilliant. Well, I will look forward to listening to that on my drive to Ipswich in the morning. So this evening, a bit of a, a change of pace. I was thinking up ideas for what we could talk about. And I had the idea of maybe a debate. Regular listeners or joiners of the forum will know myself and Dave usually move to one of two camps. I'm very much pro financial accounting. My background and passion is financial reporting and audit, the subjects I teach. Dave, 
in his teaching career has veered more towards management accounting. And we, we have this slight in joke, which is better, which is the most interesting, which is the most relevant form of our profession. And so I thought tonight it would be quite a, a good episode if myself and Dave put our cases forward and maybe let the studio audience who are joining us live on Zoom tonight to decide which one is the most important area of finance and accounting. To set it up, before we came on air, when students were joining the live Zoom, I put up a poll and asked the students joining to vote. And it was very, very close. We'll maybe relaunch the poll again towards the end of this evening to see what has happened and whether there has been any traction in the voting. But when we launched it first thing, it was a 53 to 47% split. Could not have been closer but 53 of the audience on entry to the Zoom session tonight said they were very much in the camp of financial accounting. So at the start of tonight, I was winning, but we will see if we can do anything to change their minds. Dave, over to you to try and argue the case, therefore. Well, yeah, it's disappointing, isn't it, that 53% that of people think that financial accounting is better. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I, I, my case is really, really simple. It's, it's, really straightforward uh, and I, I don't need kind of a, a 10 point plan as to why management accounting is better than financial accounting um, I, I'm going to ask you to actually put my case forward for me because it, it is that simple Ben um, because as well as being as well as being a, a, a teacher or a tutor Ben as well as, as well as you know, being fantastic it's living in the classroom what, what's your job title Ben? I am a, a client director for First Intuition. Okay, so that last word you said there was director, wasn't it? So you're a director of a company. Okay, yes. And that, that's what your job title says, you're a director, which means I'm guessing then that you spend time in board of directors meetings. I certainly do. We've got another one next Thursday. And would you consider those board of directors meetings are quite important to your business and, and how the business runs? Vital. Yeah, Vital. vitally important. Okay. In those meetings, do you look at any any accounts at all to help you make decisions, any numbers? We do. I'm going to big her up now. Tracy, our finance director. Hello, Tracy, if you're listening. Um, she does a fantastic job of putting together a board pack for us every month for our meeting where we talk right, okay. about the, the, the numbers. And, that, and those numbers that are put forward, because you're such a big fan of them, I imagine they must be the statutory financial accounts that are filed at Companies House you look at every, every month. Well, no, not actually yet, because our year end is 30th of June. So, so Tracy. Right. So what, what can you just give me an idea month. of what kind of things you're looking at on a monthly basis to help you make decisions? We look at, at revenue. We compare things to budgets, to expectation okay. of student numbers and, and levels of income. We so what you're saying is every, every month, the vital group of people that drive a business forward get together to make vital decisions about how that business is run and the information that they use to make those decisions are management accounts. Um, we do use the management accounts regularly, yes. Every month? Every month. Every single month. Okay, good. And when you're making kind of like operational decisions within the business and people are deciding things like... Um, I'm worried whether someone's going to pay and I need to make sure that I'm chasing debts at the right kind of time. Are people using those wonderful financial accountants, financial accounts that you talk about to help make decisions about who they should chase for payments or not? 
Um, no, they wouldn't wait till the end of the year to chase the payments. They, would, they, they would be chasing would, them on a. a would they use payment. monthly kind of monthly debtor reports? They would do. Yes. Would they be management accounts as well? well part of the management accounts. Yes. Okay, so every single decision that's made within your business, okay, is driven by management accounts. Yes. Excellent stuff. Okay, so can you remind me what the point of the financial accounts is if you're running a business? So you're also a shareholder, Dave, aren't you? You're an owner of yeah, the business. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a shareholder. Yeah. So you're, you're an owner of the business. And as an owner of the business, what, what's your primary objective as an owner? The traditional theory says it's all about maximising shareholder wealth. And maximising shareholder wealth. And, wealth. And how, how as a shareholder can you make money, Dave? Um, you can make money in one of two method, two ways. You can make money through dividends. You can make money through capital growth. Brilliant. So, so those dividends are based on what? They're based on profit, I presume. Yep. And where, where does that profit have to be published to make that dividend legal? Uh, it, it would have to be published in a set of statutory accounts then. It would have to be published in a set of statutory accounts. And, and the presumption is the company would have produced those accounts to know the level of retained earnings and reserves that they've got. Mm hmm. And they would then publish a statement of changes in equity that shows how much of that money could be yeah. distributed back out to the owners. But if you don't get your income from dividends, how else as a shareholder can you make money, Dave? By, by increasing the value of the shares. Increasing the value of the shares. But what would you have to do with those shares to, to realise the value? You'd have to sell them. You'd have to sell them. And for you to sell them, someone else has to presumably buy them. Would that be correct? That would be correct, yeah. So would the person buying those shares have access to the management accounts of the business? Do you think they would use the management accounts to make a decision as to whether to buy shares in a company? Well, I'm, I'm going to say yes and no, but let, let's let's go with your argument for the time being and say, no, they wouldn't have access to the management accounts. No, they wouldn't. If I was going to go and buy some shares in Tesco's tomorrow, other shares are available. British Telecom, Marks and Spencer's. I wouldn't have access to the management accounts. What would I have to rely on to get financial information about the company I was going to invest my family savings in, Dave? So you, you would rely on all of the published investor information. Uh, and that's the stuff that you can find on Companies House. I would. And, and if, if that stuff was inaccurate and I invested money, I could lose all of my family's wealth. Is that right? Yes, it is. So do you think those accounts are quite important bits of financial documentation to um, allow me to make an investment decision? I, I think that they're important because they're the only things that are publicly available. However, you'd have to argue at how many businesses have gone bust whilst having a set of financial accounts in the public domain that says that they're fine. Interesting angle to take there, but I presume the companies that went bust were still having management accounts produced on a more regular basis. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. And do you think those management accounts therefore also failed to stop them from making bad decisions that ultimately ended the company? Maybe. 
Well, I think it depends, doesn't it, on whether the what the decline was due to due to was it due to poor decisions or was it due to something else? But I would argue that having a good set of management accounts means that those businesses called in the administrators at the right time, because if the administrators are called in too late then those directors could be in breach of company law for allowing that business to continue to operate when it's no longer solvent. And your financial accounts aren't going to tell you that, but your management accounts are going to make sure that you know, people are doing the right kind of things and people are running a business in line with company law. But if we think about the health warning around companies, mm-hmm. are you familiar with the going concern concept, Dave? Yes, I am. What do you understand by the concept of a company being a going concern? If a company is a going concern, it means that um, that company will continue to be in operation for the foreseeable future. Textbook definition, mate. I didn't expect anything different from you. Yes. Really? I was, I was winging that one, Ben, as a management <laughs> accountant. The company will continue to trade for, a for, for the foreseeable future. We really look at the next 12-month period for that foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. That's an underlying assumption when the financial statements, the statutory year-end financial accounts are prepared. If there are any doubts or uncertainties around that going concern assumption, what do the directors have to do and publish, do you think, in those accounts? They would, it would need to be expressly stated in the accounts. And the accounts would, if it wasn't going to be a viable going concern, the accounts would be produced in, alter, in an alternative basis. Correct. Yeah, there would have to be full disclosure of any fundamental uncertainties around going concern. And if the company wasn't deemed a going concern, the accounts would have to be produced on what we call the breakup basis. All of that information vitally important to external stakeholders, most notably the shareholders. But can I just check then, when when you do that, so when you do produce a set of accounts on the breakup basis which means that we don't believe this business is going to be around for the foreseeable future. And um, we tend to think foreseeable future 12 months. So if I'm producing a set of financial accounts and I don't believe that the business is going to be on operation for the next three or four months, surely by the time those accounts have actually been published, the business isn't around any longer. Um, correct. But you would hope that it would have been flagged in the previous set of financial statements. We're always looking at that going concern on on a rolling 12 month foreseeable future. But I do take your point. If the timing is not quite in line with the company's year end, Mm. then that information might not be released. And from my experience of um, working in practice and seeing owners that have, have closed down their own business and moved into retirement and things like that, they're not particularly that interested in getting their accounts filed. They're more interested in shutting up shop and the account being filed is something that happens a little bit later. Okay, I take your point there. We have got legal deadlines for filing company information in the UK. Um, I'll, I'll test you again now. Do you know what the filing deadline is for a private limited company set of accounts in the UK? Oh, if, I wish you'd said tax return. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess for something like nine months. You are spot on. It is nine months for a private company, which implies that information is less relevant to the public. But I'm thinking more of the larger PLC, the listed companies, the household names that you, me are more likely to have investment in. Even if we don't actively go and buy and sell shares ourselves, things like our pension schemes will have done. So we've all got a vested interest in those companies, whether we've directly done it or not. 
And those companies have to file their accounts every six months after the year end. So much more relevant reporting for those large PLC companies. But with those large PLC companies, then, as, as well as their financial accounts, under the, the rules of the stock exchange, aren't they encouraged to declare other information on a more frequent basis? They are. I think you're talking about interim reporting. Is that is that what yeah. you mean? Well, interim reporting, profit warnings, profit statements, things like that. Yeah. So I, I think if you looked at the rules for interim accounting, they have to be produced on the same financial reporting basis as their statutory year end accounts, which implies they don't just trust them to file any made up management accounts that they want to. They have to do things that are legally structured in the format and following the same rules that their year end statutory accounts would do. So I have to take issue with your term there of any kind of made up management accounts. So made up, is, is that really what you think management accounts are, just made up numbers? Not made up. There's probably some um, driver behind them, but businesses can certainly pick and choose what goes into those management accounts. One of the things that I take great pride about a set of financial statements are they are produced in a legally recognised format. So students studying FR will spend lots of time learning individual international financial reporting standards or historically in older exam syllabuses, UK financial reporting standards. That means that information is consistently published and there is a, a minimum amount of disclosure and information that must go into those statements. In but your management accounts, Dave, who, who tells you what you put in your management accounts on a monthly well, basis? I mean, I'm going to take issue with your consistency to start with, because, yes, they are consistent, but they're consistently bad. They're consistently <laughs> giving you bad information. Uh, from someone that runs a business like you, Ben, from, someone, from anyone that runs a household, if you look at a set of financial accounts and you look at the, the cash flow statement, what does the cash flow statement actually show you, Ben? It shows you how much cash you started with, how much cash you ended with, with a bit of a view in the middle of to where the money's gone in and out. And how does that help you? I mean, if, if I have that statement of my own personal finances, that doesn't help me understand um, whether I can afford a holiday next year. But what I want you... is I want to know how much money am I likely to have in my bank account next June? Because if I know how much money I've got in my account next June, I know what I can spend next June. All that stuff about, oh, that's what I did do. And especially when you're saying that these accounts are filed nine months after the year end, it's saying, oh, nine months ago, this is what your cash position was like. And this is what you did over the 12 months prior to that. So 21 months ago, you started. And then that's how it ends up nine months ago. How much money have I got to say? Oh, I don't know. Because my financial accounts don't tell me that. Okay, so management accounts are all focused on how much money do I have today? How much do I expect to have tomorrow, the week after, the week after? And when it comes back to your earlier argument about dividends, so in terms of dividends, yeah, you might make a load of profit, but if you haven't got the cash in the bank, you can't pay a dividend. So yeah, legally, I might be able to pay a dividend, but my management accounts say, this is the money that you've got available that you can actually pay in the form of a dividend. Your management accounts might say, this is the amount of money that you've got. And if you want to pay more, you're going to need to go and raise finance. And your financial accounts aren't going to tell you that. They're just going to tell you at some point ages ago, you had some money, but I don't know whether you've got it anymore. It's an argument I was expecting you to make, actually. And, and you're exactly right, Dave. I can't disagree with you. The financial reporting is historic. Historic confirmation of what has happened 
But I think that plays a vital role in holding the decision makers of business to account. As a director, I'm accountable in those accounts to demonstrate to the shareholders what's happened to the money, what's happened to the revenue in the last 12 months, what's happened to the costs, what level of profit or sadly for some businesses loss have I been responsible for? So do you not believe that the financial reporting do give a really good accountability to the decision makers of the business? It's, it's the only mechanism that we've got for shareholders to take into account the performance of directors. Now, just because it's the only method we've got doesn't necessarily mean that I think it's good because uh, I, I always think that there are, there's more beyond the financial accounts that indicate whether a business is being run very well. I think we all know the kind of activities that, that managers can get up to to try and boost their profits because maybe they want to achieve a bonus or, or something like that. We all know the tricks that, that people can do to, to do that, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're running the business particularly well. And that, that's always been my concern when you solely evaluate the performance of a business based on its financial performance. And that's something that, you know, from a statutory accounts perspective, it's all about the finances of the business. The great thing about management accounts is that sometimes we don't measure money. Sometimes we measure other things. And I'm going to come back to you again, Ben. Um, in, in your director's meetings, do you ever use measures that are, are there to try and evaluate the quality of the things that you do? Um, yes, we do. We look at student yep. satisfaction rates. We look at student pass rates. We, we look at non-financial data. We certainly do, Dave. And, and would that be in your financial statements? Um, not statutory, but increasingly financial reporting encompasses other documents as well. So director statements, environmental statements for companies quite often these days bundled in to what they would call their statutory um, shareholder information pack. So can I just check, when, when did that, you know, and you might not know this, but that, that requirement or, or that not necessarily requirement, that, that kind of move towards more environmental reporting. When did you start seeing that in financial accounts? Oh, it's pr probably really been driven since I started teaching. So certainly within the last nine years or so, I would say there's been a bit more. Um, any ACCA students will be aware of the integrated reporting initiative, which tries to get more than just financial information out there to external shareholders. I mean, it's, it's crazy because we, we I've been talking about uh, environmental management accounting for at least 20 years. And, and that's that's, you know, since I've been aware of it. Uh, and you know, before then it was out there and businesses, those well-run businesses that have got good um, kind of like ESG standards, they've been looking at evaluating their impact on the environment since years and years before they had to do it as a statutory thing. And, you know, well-run businesses are already looking at this and already doing it. And that's the beauty of, of management accounting, because if you are a business that cares about, a certain element of how that business is run you can create a set of reports that will actually monitor and evaluate that and make sure that you're doing the right things whether that is you know the things that we always talk about are in financial accounts are oh we've got good corporate governance oh, because we've been told to report it businesses have been doing it for years and they haven't felt the need to put it in their financial or haven't had to put it in their financial accounts but they still do report on it so it, it's something that i think that sometimes the financial accountants are playing catch up 
and saying, what's good practice? What do good businesses do in terms of running their business? Oh, let's put that in the statutory accounts because the management accountants are doing such a brilliant job of that. I would count that by saying, though, you just said you could create the reports that you want. So surely there is a, a risk of bias that if you're particularly passionate about environmental stuff, you would include lots of information in your management pack for that. But you might miss some of the other things that are potentially equally important to external parties or bodies to the company. Um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to throw another one at you. Um, who checks your management accounts, Dave? Who would identify any errors, inconsistencies or potential bias within them? I guess outside of a, the kind of that general hierarchical structure of, of people working within a finance team, that there isn't a, a statutory body that would check them or verify them. Bigger companies are going to have an internal audit function. That internal audit function may be charged with looking at how the um, how management, accounts, management accounts are produced. But the reality is with management accounts, you are quite often having to produce information that's forecast and forecasts are forecasts that you know, sometimes there isn't a huge deal of science about this, about gathering different information from other people. So it's very difficult to verify them. Um, also, there's a, a cost benefit analysis that, that I always do with management accounts. And I look at what's the benefit of me having this information? Does it enable me to make good decisions? If it enables me to make good decisions, okay, what's the cost of it? And if it's going to take five people three weeks to produce a report that isn't going to add much value to our business and allow it to make good decisions, it's not worth doing. So sometimes we'll say, right, I just want estimates and I want summary information to enable me to make a decision. And do I want it checked? Well, does checking it add any value? Is checking it really going to make a significant difference? You know, if I had it audited, would it make a huge difference to my decision making? Most of the time, no. So, no, there isn't a body that checks it, but do I want a body to check it? No, not really. It's an ad value. So I think what I've heard from you there is it's it's almost impossible to provide assurance on your management accounts because lots of the numbers are a guesswork anyway. Yep. So nobody could provide assurance in the first place. Where I'm extremely proud of the audit profession. It's my background. Regular listeners will know I always big up audit. And I've spent quite a lot of my time either doing or training people to go out and do very regulated compliance reviews on sets of statutory accounts, expressing an opinion on whether they are true and fair. Do you think your management accounts are true and fair? And do you think you would find anybody independent of your business who could express that opinion on them? Um, I, I guess, first of all, no. I wouldn't say they're going to be true and fair, but I'd also ask you, would you want them to be true and fair? You know, I, I, and it's a little bit like the arguments that we have as accountants that uh, accountants should be kind of independent and free from bias. Now, if I'm working in practice, I think, yeah, absolutely, as a professional accountant, you need to have that viewpoint. But I personally want my accountant in my business to have a degree of bias i want them to be fighting for my business and wanting my business to succeed so in terms of the information that's produced i, I want information that enables me to get a competitive edge and enables me to to be able to do better things so you know do i want them to be you know audited in the same way financial accounts i don't think i do i think i do. i think there will be bias in them um you know, I'm always very biased in terms of the information that I want to see. You know, I, 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 I don't pay kind of equal attention 
to the different areas that he's having a set of financial accounts. I don't really care about my non-current asset disclosure, you know, about whether what my depreciation charges on a monthly basis, because I can't control that. What I do care about is revenue trends and how revenue changes. So top line of the P&L in your financial accounting language, I'm obsessed with, you know, and I'm obsessed with certain other costs, things like the, the payroll costs, you know, the payroll section of your financial accounts, that to me is the most important part of my business because that's the part that if we don't have good people, we can't deliver great tuition, which means that we aren't the business that I think we are. So I have to pay really close attention to making sure we're paying people the right level of wages, keeping them happy. We've got, we haven't got huge amounts of staff turnover. So I'll focus on those two areas, but non-current assets, my, my debtors disclosure, you know, are, are my creditors more than less than a year? All of that stuff. I really couldn't care less when it comes to prepare, when it comes to running a business. I'm, I'm loving your passion, Dave, and I know you are very passionate about your your business. Are you aware of the concept of benchmarking? Yes, I am. And, and would you say it's quite important for your business to benchmark its performance against other businesses? Yes. So, do you think your management accounts would be comparable to the management accounts of another business down the road? No. Would you have access to the management accounts of another business down the road? No. So if you're going to do any form of benchmarking to other companies, presumably you would be reliant on information in their published statutory accounts, would you not? If you were compare, if you wanted to compare financial data, yes. Fantastic. And for that to work, and really one of the underpinning concepts of financial reporting is consistency, comparability. They're fundamental elements to what we do in our world of statutory accounting. So back to those financial reporting standards, the reason you can compare your business to others is because you produce your accounts in a similar format to a set of standardized accounting rules. Do you not disagree? I 100% agree. Absolutely. You, yeah. And, and your profession is brilliant at that. It's brilliant at producing consistent sets of data that you can compare very easily between different com companies. And I know by extension, you can say it's not just in the UK. You can compare it with any country in the world that uses the same accounting standards and the accounts look the same and they are comparable. No, you're 100% right. You can do that with financial accounts. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you one more question, Dave. I'm kind of time. I would just oh. like to kind of go back to that last question, though, Ben. Oh, go on. Because, no, you're right. Absolutely right. If you're comparing financial information, 100% right. It, it's comparable. Um, is that really what you benchmark? When you're oh. running your business and you're trying to compare yourself against, say, a competitor? Yeah. Um, or if you were trying to compare your performance against another office of first intuition, are you just going to compare your balance sheets and see who's got the biggest balance sheet um i think you'd compare lots of things but but predominantly they would be driven by the statutory accounts in my opinion it's access to information if you're talking about internal benchmarking yeah. um if you're only going to benchmark yourself internally you're never going to improve or have the aspirations improving to the best in your industry well i'm just thinking that when you when I've seen you, you benchmark loads, Ben. You're, you're a brilliant benchmarker. And in terms of your benchmarking, a couple of weeks ago, you were asking about pass rates of exams 
and you were benchmarking those pass rates of exams from Cambridge versus Chelmsford versus Leeds versus all, all different parts of the country. Um, you've done benchmarking exercises to look at things like salary expectations and look at you know, salaries that are paid in different parts of the business. Um, I'm struggling to remember the meeting where you got together and compared your financial accounts with the financial accounts of other competitors. Did I miss that meeting, Ben? <laughs> um, no, but we haven't held that meeting, David. Okay, I, I take on board your point. Lots of those non-statutory financial factors and KPIs are very, very important to our business. But um, I'll come at you with one more. M my presumption is your, your company pays tax, Dave. Yes, it does. And to, to pay that tax or to know how much tax you have to pay, presumably you have to file a tax return and provide a computation to yep. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Yep. And what, what would be the starting point? You've taught a bit of tax over the years as well, mate. Yep. What would be the, the starting point of your tax computation? Uh, it would be the profit figure, Ben. The profit. And where would you extract that profit figure from, David? From the financial statements, Ben. From the financial statements, the year-end statutory financial reporting. Do you think Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs would let you pick your profit from your internally generated management accounts? They wouldn't, Ben, but you've taught some tax as well, haven't you? I have, And yeah. you take that profit figure from the statutory accounts, absolutely right. Then what do you do to that profit figure? Is that the figure the government say, oh, yeah, perfect, love that number, I'm going to calculate tax based on it, or do they make you do something to it? No, um, we, we usually then in our computation have to do some add-back adjustments. And why do you do the add-back adjustments again? I've forgotten. Um, usually because things are not allowed for tax purposes by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. For so example, even Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, even HMRC, they don't trust your financial accounts to tell a true story of how the business is actually operating. And instead, they create their own framework for how profit should be calculated to calculate tax. They say, take that number, but we know it's rubbish because it's got these crazy rules that don't make any sense and make a load of adjustments to actually get them into tax language. For things that are involving estimates, yes. What about depreciation? Oh, depreciation plays is an estimate, isn't it? Estimate of the useful life, yes. So, so, so it just shows that things that are estimated are unreliable. And in your financial accounts? In, in a limited way. There are a few standardised things that Amazis Revenue and Customs will not allow, but most of the time it is, if it's in the accounts, it's allowed for tax purposes. But not all the time. But not all the time. But I guarantee if you took the numbers from your management accounts, there would be more adjustments and addbacks than there would be from the, the statutory accounts. But we know the management accounts are based on forecast, and, that, and that's, that, that's what they're there to do. They're there to, to forecast, to estimate, to get information, to enable you to make good decisions as quickly as you possibly can. That's what their purpose is. But it, it, the purpose of your financial accounts is to produce these kind of statutory, impeccable records that are perfect in every way. And we've said that the one organisation that, you know, it's important we get good information to to pay the right amount of tax to, don't trust our financial accounts anyway. Yes, I think you've got me on that one. <laughs> um, guys, we're up against the clock and looking at it, we are nearly up to our seven o'clock cutoff point. I've just relaunched the poll. I'm going to give it another couple of moments for anybody that's with us live just to, to cast their vote. Please do so. Because I need no, a don't. We're more. fine. We're fine I as need, we are now. I need a couple more for financial reporting, if possible. Management accounting, I think, does need a couple more votes. I think, I think yeah, 
I'm lobbying in the same way that some of our members of parliament are currently lobbying. You would make a fantastic politician, Dave. I'm ending the poll at that point. I don't want to be accused of, of dragging it on longer than I needed to. I'm going to share the results with the, the live audience with us. Um, for the listeners to the podcast, there has been a shift. I feel like I am on the, the telly the night of a general election. There's been a swing, hasn't there? When we started the recording, the audience was split 53% towards my view of financial accounting and 47% towards management accounting. And as we finish tonight, I have to say congratulations and well done, Dave. There's been a swing. 57% of the audience are now on the side of management accounting. So there's been a 10% swing from... That's a seismic result, isn't it, Ben? Financial to management accounting. Well done. So thanks for everyone that's that's voted for management accounting there. Um, Yeah, I I think that, yeah, a well-fought battle there, Ben. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, I was quite, quite strong on some points there. And I think that, um, yeah, I think the tactic of asking you what you did in your directors meetings, I think, started you on the back foot a little bit. It did. It did. I thoroughly enjoyed that, Dave. I still have to say it's still pretty close. Even at the end of it, it's still um, within 10 percent of each other. So that's pretty good. I'm still convinced that financial reporting is the way to go. And I look forward to teaching some of the listeners financial reporting or helping them with their financial reporting studies. But equally, Dave, I appreciate management account is in the syllabus for all of the exam bodies that we teach for. So I think both have got their place. Would you agree? I I do. I think that when I speak to accountants in practice, accountants in practice tend to be very, very focused on producing those financial accounts and don't really give management accounts the, the respect that's due to them. And I think when you look at them as tools to make decisions and you know, why, what, what would you need to make good decisions, suddenly you see them in a different light. And likewise, those people that work in industry who produce management accounts on a daily basis almost, almost think of the financial accounting function as the inconvenience that happens at the end of the year when the annoying people come in and do all their magic. And I think if both of us, both parties understand what the other does, then we get a lot more respect for what we do. And you know, it makes us better accountants because we're not so closed. And I, I remember working in practice when I first started training and people just say, oh, ignore the management accounts, they're just made up. It's, okay, yeah, they are made up, but they're made up for a reason. They're made up to give information to management to make good decisions. What a lovely sentiment to end our 100th episode on. Financial accountants, management accountants, let's get together, let's understand each other, let's share some love and work together. What That's to almost do. Bob Marley then, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I'm going to say good evening. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for downloading. Dave, we'll be back again next week. Yep, yeah, we'll see you next week. And yeah, happy 100th anniversary. Thanks so much for downloading. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye, everybody.